Hey, Kelsey. Hey, Brooke. Want to tell everyone what's happening in today's episode? Today, we are going to be talking about the Franco-Algerian War. Per usual, I don't know anything about it. Great. Let's get into this. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Remedial Her Story, The Other 50%, the podcast that explores what happened to the women in history class. Now, here's your host, Kelsey Brooke Eckert, and her partner in crime, Brooke Neva Sullivan. So, Brooke, how do you feel about colonialism? Uh, I'm not here for it. Great. Gender. Topics. Oh, sure. Of course you like it. You have a podcast about it. I don't know. What kind of gender are we talking about? If it's women, I'm here for it. All right. I'm here for talking about challenges with masculinity as well. Oh, yeah. I guess so. Sometimes. Not all the time, though. I don't want to spend the majority of my life that way. Uh, Learning about Islam. I don't know a lot about it, I will have to say. Yeah. Migration. Refugees. Visual, culture, and architecture. This is a lot you're throwing at me. I all, know. Yeah. Should I just say yes to everything? Yeah, I think okay. you need to. All right. All of these things overlap today's episode. Jeez. Dun, dun, dun. Do you mean so, a fleet of people? Yeah, but like you, I didn't learn anything about the Franco-Algerian War in my schooling. The only thing I've learned about, and it's probably not accurate, was in fictional like um books oh really yeah like um there's like two writers that i read a lot and they write about that time period oh interesting. interesting so 1950s cold war period and like a lot of cold war conflicts women are like in every aspect of the cold war conflict that we've seen in in previous you know u.s themed topics so in this war we there are tons of visual evidence that make talking about it in the classroom really interesting to see the roles that women played in this conflict both from the perspectives of the colonists trying Mm -hmm. to maintain their power in algeria and then from the algerian perspective women in the liberation front you know trying to push back against colonialism it's such a powerful way that women are active in decolonization. And I don't know about you, but like when I think about decolonization, I think about like apartheid and it's like a lot of these like male leaders that come to mind. But increasingly, yeah. I'm becoming aware of all of these women's movements within Africa that are pushing back against it. And per usual, it's this like grassroots movement that yeah therefore doesn't you don't you don't think of these like powerful male leader or, or female leaders and the male leaders come to mind classic oh yeah sure and so i'm well, like there's more written about them and i get that but we're talking about some of the female leaders today yeah so we're joined on the on the podcast today by a phd candidate her name is maura mcwright and i'm really excited to learn more from her because like you i don't have a ton of background on this yeah. or other than that it happened this war is um, the kind of the final end of the end of French colonialism in Algeria. And it's uh, and if you look at a map of Africa today, like most of those countries are independent. And so we should talk yeah, about really interesting. It, we spend so much time talking about the colonization efforts. What about the decolonization efforts on the other side of it? And and the fact that through that entire period, like, you know, I, I, there's this whole thing about like, when you show a map of colonization, please also show the resist, the conflicts of resistance yeah. within that period, because it's constant, you know, people weren't just like, Oh, yeah, come take over our place. Like, you know, like, no, 
So I'm really excited to learn more about this. Me too. Let's get into it. My name is Maura, Maura McCrate, and I am a current PhD candidate and also adjunct lecturer, both in art history. And for my specialization, I, I specialize in modern art and also the history of photography. And with both of those, I can certainly look at things as a survey, as we call them in art history and, and also in, in history as well. But I also enjoy focusing on the North African region, which is where my research resides or the Maghreb region. So that is where my dissertation research has, has come out of and, and um, which I can talk about. Um, and I also have a dog. <laughs> Named Fritos. He's he's a very big part of my life, so it's worth mentioning him. And my partner and I adopted him last year. And it's it's like we have our own little family now. We call him our child. Oh. And <laughs> we um and it is an accurate description of how we feel about him. And um so I enjoy hanging out with him and he also outside of teaching and researching and all of that. He kind of keeps me grounded and relaxed. And so thanks, Fritos. <laughs> I love that you've made this connection to art history and, and that that's your field. Cause you know, I always think about how often in our history classes, we are showing students visuals, whether it be a piece mm -hmm. of art from the Renaissance to illustrate something that we're learning about or talking about or photos to, you know, kind of bring to life some of these concepts that we're talking about in history. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because I don't think many teachers take art history classes before they go off into the classroom to teach, you know, history because art history mm -hmm. and history on college campuses don't often overlap. And at least in on my campus, it's not a requirement to have a teaching cert. So it's kind of interesting. Yes, that is interesting. And oddly enough, in art history, I mean, I've had colleagues that say we, one, use images as our crutch, but they're so, especially for visual learners, um, but also from the perspective of a visual educator and visual learner, I can't imagine not having images while I'm in the classroom. Mm. And then there's also this perspective that we don't teach enough about history while teaching art history. Mm. So, um, and yeah, I mean, we can talk more about that, but that's just an interesting dilemma, I guess, in both fields that, you know, art history and, and, and how visual history itself is, regardless of if it's within the canon of art history and the art world, right? Yeah. Um, which is kind of, actually where the topic my own my dissertation topic comes from because it's not necessarily obvious to include in in art history yeah so why do you feel like it is so important to be talking about this in the classroom so i one you know with the franco-algerian conflict or the algerian war i kind of first came around to it being very concerned about um, this relationship between Northern Africa and Europe, kind of like what ha what is this? What is the history of this relationship? And um, I personally came to that as a dissertation topic by being it was I still remember being at the Louvre. It was my first 
time in Paris and I did that just kind of like this solo (laughs) journey there. And I was like, I think that there is actually a lot of visual exchange that has occurred that is not included in, in art history. And, and, you know, I won't go on about this experience with the loop that I had, but it had, it related a lot to what we sort of prize in history, what we acknowledge in history. And of course, France is um, currently grappling with acknowledging or not acknowledging its history of colonialism, specifically in Algeria. But the importance of this topic and women, you know, I think that talking about the Algerian war and images of the Algerian war, specifically photography, can open up discussions about women and war, but also how that connects to gender, gender violence, religion, political history. And and the subject of of women in in war is not new. And even women as combatants or being militant figures is not entirely new, right? The Spanish Civil War, the Mexican Revolution. But in terms of discussing these issues of decolonization and, and gender and how they overlap, there's a lot to say about you know, the representation of Arab women, Arab African women, and their versus kind of what actually happened in their own experiences versus how it is represented or not represented at all, right? Completely kind of dismissed or overlooked. And that's mm. part of the reason. Interesting I, is you're I talking about decolonization because I feel like in the broad scheme of things I learned about in my own education. And then I think about, you know, I probably know more than a lot of people do about the types of resources that are out there for teachers to integrate into the classroom, you know, packaged and ready to go. I feel Mm -hmm. British when we talk about colonization and decolonization, I feel like there's more stuff about colonization in India um, and maybe even like there's a lot on apartheid that's out there. And I, yes. so it makes me feel like France kind of gets off scot-free, yes. not necessarily in the way that historians are talking about things, but at least in what's covered in the secondary classroom. And yeah. I'm really yeah. glad that you're going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is um, a really interesting observation. And I, I, I kind of agree with that just in, I mean, I'm not a history, you know, educator, um, but even just thinking about what I have had to learn in order to be able to to be qualified to teach these classes in art history, I certainly, yeah, apartheid, British colonialism, um, obviously the transatlantic slave trade, which we could categorize with colonization and and the same sort of issues, but Absolutely. And, and France is, and, and you're not wrong. I mean, France right now, as we speak, right, is this is an issue um, specifically with Algeria and also how France, you know, how how did they kind of get off scotch-free in terms of Europe and European colonization? You know, obviously I have some theories there, but, and I'm sure other people do too, <laughs> but it is interesting in terms of classes and coursework and syllabi and textbooks that it is left out. Okay. Yeah. 
So I guess our first question to, before we dive too much into this history is like, what do you have any sources related to this conflict that you feel like teachers need to look at to understand it more deeply Um, or things that we could share with teachers to guide them students through it? Yes. As I was saying about how a lot of this is missing from our main textbooks or go-tos, there is actually within the last couple of decades, there is a large exhibition history about at least modernism of the Arab world. So exhibition texts and artwork lists, they can be really useful, even if it's not art history based, especially, you know, if we're kind of um, pushing this argument along that it could be helpful for history teachers to also implement images, right? So exhibition texts and artwork lists don't need to just be for art history, the um, standout text that is there, a very good example of this issue of, of gender, colonialism, and photography, and kind of acknowledging that within France, there's a text called The Colonial Harem. And people may or may not be familiar with the kind of use of that word harem, but it's used in certainly in art history when talking about Orientalist artworks. And in that case, we could also bring in Edward Said's Orientalism, right, or, or excerpts of it. <laughs> Maybe not the entire book for students, but but yes, The Colonial Harem by Malik Alula. This is a text that it's very approachable in terms of the way it's written. It's almost a little bit of poetic narrative. And it's a project that he took on. So he's actually Algerian himself. And he collected picture postcards of Algerian women that were produced and sent by the French in Algeria during the first three decades of the 20th century. So this is pre-Algerian war, about 1900 to 1930. And these images reveal this preoccupation with the veiled woman body. And um, in Algeria, the veil the, the long white veil is called the Hayek, H-I-I-K, and um, H-A-I-K, sorry. These picture postcards that he studies looks at French-Algerian relations, right, pre-war, pre-Algerian war, and also the role played by women, both what they, again, what they actually experienced, and this just imaginary French colonial, very male-oriented perspective of you know, quote unquote, this exotic woman. This kind of reveals that truth. And then Alula does something that is very um, creative, where he says that this project, by showing this truth, I'm kind of returning these postcards back to the center by saying, listen, this actually doesn't represent Algerian women. And it's more of what is called the phantasm or this illusion, the imaginary um, Algerian woman. So this this text is includes all of these image, all these postcard images, but also with Alula's perspective, um, which I think it's important that he is also Algerian. So that's that's a good text to use. But some of the others that um, absolutely, I mean, there's so many exhibition texts that I I don't know if it's worth naming them all, but there are a lot of curators and researchers that are comparing works. So again, in art history, along the lines of artists of Orientalism, so you have like 
Jerome and, and Delacroix, Matisse, Picasso. So pretty well-known artists compared with Algerian artists or other Arab artists to show, again, how are women's bodies represented. Hmm. So what do you feel like these images that you've stumbled upon in these collections mm-hmm. tell us about this war and women's role in it? And maybe it might be helpful to give some context to that. I mean, this is a war for decolonization yeah. and it's, you know, an independence fight on the mm-hmm. part of the Algerians mm-hmm. against their colonizer. Um, but is it more nuanced than that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and that is a large point of, of my research is that, yes, in fact, it is, it is nuanced and maybe that nuance can lead to, ah, oh, this is too confusing, too complex, so let's not touch it. But it it reveals so much about gender, um, and and as I said, colonization. And yes, as as you said, so this is you know at the root of it, it's a fight for independence because preceding 1962, which is is when independence is reached fair and square with the Avion Agreement, it's finally you know it takes a long time to get there. Algeria is a, a colony of France, so they're not independent. In 1945. This is when France is celebrating, you know, okay, the war is over. Um, This is the end of the Nazi regime. Well, Muslim protesters in Algeria are saying, well, if you guys get to celebrate, we're going to protest and demand Algerian independence. So this kind of, you know, and and it's interesting because at this time, and going back to this idea that why isn't French colonization more widely taught, a lot of, you know, preceding the end of the Algerian War, many places like Mauritania, for example, reaches independence in 1960. Tunisia reaches independence during the Algerian War. So all of these French colonies are kind of looking at one another as neighbor African countries, and they're starting to advocate for themselves. Unfortunately, you know, it results in conflict in war. So the the resistance, the actual armed resistance, doesn't start right away. It begins with these small towns in Algeria, and then the the resistance faction. Um, so these are armed militants who are responding to the violence of the French army, who roam Algeria because it's their colony, and they they have to fight back. The Algerians have to fight back if they're going to reach independence. Now, are the militants? Mostly male? Like, are these mostly male? Yes. Okay. And are women involved at all? So, and this is also, you know, depending on the educator's preference, I mean, I think all of this history is useful, though, to think about assumptions of the patriarchal, the patriarchal assumptions of Muslim culture, right? And that, oh, well, women just stay home, which is this French colonial perspective. When in, when, and, and, you know, some of this is true, right? Unfortunately, we just live in a, a world of patriarchy. So these problems permeate everywhere. Um, but in terms of Algeria, as the war picks up, women have to be involved. Men realize if we're going to win, we need to bring in women. And um, between the years of like 1954 to 1957, which is kind of, if people are familiar with the Battle of Algiers, it's the events that occurred between these years, but it's also a very amazing film by an Italian director, Ponte Corvo. 
highly recommend. You could even show that in class. I mean, it's, I never watched it in school, but I don't see why not because it's so well done. It could be used in a film class too. And, and the history is he actually uses actors, Algerian actors who are not famous. So it's, it's, it's very historically tries to be historically accurate. So one of the things that this film includes is that women are in fact secretly laying bombs in the French quarters of Algeria. And so this is showing that women ultimately did get involved. And in terms of their roles, this is where it also becomes really interesting, just in the way that they dress. So French women or pied noirs, which is is what uh, the Algerians, the native Algerians would refer to the French who are roaming around Algeria, their colony, they called them the pied noirs. And so the Algerian women would kind of get really savvy and figure out ways to disguise themselves as European. So they would change their hair, they would not wear their veil. And as this film shows the Battle of Algiers, these women would uh, hide bombs in their purses and leave them in the urban areas where the the French really like to hang out, so kind of popular cafes. And once that started to, you know, after these these bombings happened, the French army is very upset and realizes that women are in fact part of the resistance, but also that they were tricked and that they were deceived. So this is really like this complicated colonizer and Algerian relationship, but specifically among women, because of course you have this sexual dominance by way of the French. Um, And as far as the French army goes, that's all male. Now there are women um, political leaders and supporters of, of uh, French Algeria that, uh, I include in my research that could certainly be included in a in an educator's syllabi, but I think the uh, really complicated and when we talk about nuance, the relationship um, and the perspective that these Algerian women had to have of themselves and what they were capable of, and what the men that they were, you know, the Algerian men also realized what they were capable of, what they were able to do that the men weren't able to do. It's entirely interesting. I mean, even as I describe it now, it it sounds as if it shouldn't be real. It sounds like a movie, but it really happened. And, And women who their entire lives would never go in public without wearing a veil because it's a place of safety and it's a place of their Muslim identity. I mean, there's so much more to the veil than just what we see. The, this, it's this enclosure. For women, um, and that's how they, you know, prefer to live and, and exist. That's why they're Muslim. So for them to make that sacrifice in order to fight for independence, it's it's just incredible. And I think that if students hear this information in the form of stories and in the form of images, it can be pretty um, magnifying for their lens of, of women, gender, colonization, who, maybe, you know. Who documented yeah. these pictures of the, uh, so the, are there pictures of the women not yes. filmed with the bombs and things? Yes. So this is, um, and there, there certainly are a wide variety of these images that are not yet 
publicly viewed. Um, so, so this is where some of my research comes in and, you know, and, and it means, okay, we've got to dig into archives and look through essentially image by image by image of different photojournalists work who took photos of women, but didn't publish them in say like Life Magazine, Look Magazine, um, Perry Match there, but certainly like Perry Match, Observer, Life Magazine, which a lot of these have public archives are digitized because of COVID. Um, a lot of press archives and many image archives in general worked to get things digitized. So that's something good that came out of the pandemic. But yes, so so part of that is is to be researched. There's also a really famous collection of photographs by a French photographer. His name was Marc Geringer. And his series of images are fairly well-known. They, they would probably be recognizable to some of the listeners because they're photos of Algerian women who are not veiled. However, they're not, they did not consent to that. So his, his job, he actually was against the war, but he was a hired conscript soldier, soldier, excuse me. So he didn't really have a choice. And his commander ordered him to take ID photos of civilian Algerians. And he took over 2,000 of these full-face portraits against a, a white backdrop, um, mostly of women. And like I said, they had to be unveiled. And this came to be something that he deeply regretted doing. Um, and it's actually, I mean, he's he's talked about it since then. But at the same time, because he did take those photographs, we have this evidence of the cruelty that the French military was um, putting on Algerian women who were not necessarily even militants in the war. These are women that were living in more rural areas that the French were occupying. So there are, uh, yeah, over 2,000 portraits of of those women, and they're all um, published. But yes, photojournalists, at the time, um, the Black Star Collection, which I have looked at, has hun- hundreds of photographs of women from the war that were not published hmm. as well. So those are good places to look. Um, Magnum photographers yeah. were also placed there, especially, as I mentioned, that kind of peak of the war, which was the Battle of Algiers. A lot of photojournalists would go or sent over there or would go over there on their own. Mm. Actually an American photographer that no one's really heard of, <laughs> maybe a few people, but her name was Dickie Chappelle. She was one of the, no, she was the first woman photojournalist to go to Algeria. She had a really hard time getting the photographs she took published. Um, why, why didn't people want to publish them? I mean, it's a good question, but one, um, her stance as a woman photojournalist in the 50s. So that is one layer of it. It was harder for her to be taken seriously. And yet none of her male colleagues wanted to go to Algeria because they had heard that it was violent and they were worried. But she she went. And some of them were, but because she ultimately sided with the resistance, she realized... Because before she had gone there, she didn't really know what the war was about. 
the Franco-Algerian conflict, she thought, well, maybe these Algerians are communists and there were still Cold War tensions at this time. So she wasn't really sure. She was very anti-communism herself. Turns out that isn't wasn't the case at all with Algeria or with the resistance. And so... Yeah, convince me a little bit of maybe what she saw, because I'm thinking like, okay, yeah, is not great. But then so far, you've shared stories about, you know, these women bombing, you know, people at a cafe and things like that. And so right. I would love to like balance that out with like, why would I want to and why did she ultimately become right. sympathetic to the resistance? Well, that's a good question. And, and, you know, going back to the question too of why weren't they published and it's because she had photos of them doing really mundane things like making tea or gosh they didn't have a lot to eat but like couscous if they could find it and and sort of these and photographs with herself in them laughing with militants Mm -hmm. um in rural areas and so for the media and press this didn't work with their narrative that needed to fuel the reason France was colonizing because the the overarching theme, why is French in Algeria? At the time, it it really people believed that France, that I'm sorry, that Algeria needed France, that it was uncivilized, that these women were oppressed. And so, and we have to remember too, that the resistance didn't want to begin with violence it's that they had no other choice and we still don't know how many Algerians died. You know, there are still projects today where people are looking for ancestors and and long lost loved ones. Um, But now we're in 2023, these people are all dying, the family members. So the history is, is kind of losing itself through time. And in that way we can sort of, this is evidence that France and French media or anyone who was sympathetic, they did a great job of keeping these images that they didn't want the public to see. So the public imagination would stay in the realm of, well, France is probably, you know, they're doing their best to help Algerians. They, they want to protect the women from, you know, these terrible Arab men. I mean, that's really what the dialogues Yeah. It sounds like it's sort of like, integrated Islamophobia as well as sort of yes. this backward, you know, colonial mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So these images that would represent a fuller picture, a more nuanced picture of, you know, in different kinds of women, women weren't only laying bombs, they were nurses, they were educators, they were teaching Arabic. Yeah. And because a lot of schools at this time, well, all the schools were only teaching French. Yeah. So, so that would be a form of resistance to teach Arabic. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, it's funny listening to this because I, in my classes, I have a lot of trouble explaining women in Islam to my mostly, you know, in New Hampshire, we're very not religious. So I think that is a handicap in general where I think it's like us in Vermont, who are the least religious states in the union. And so yeah. they don't even have you know, the dominant Christian faith to like fall back on Mm -hmm. generally not religious. So they don't make connections on any religious conversation. And then, you know, if they were any religion, they were probably Christian and probably Protestant Christian. And so it's just really hard to explain 
the nuance of Islam. And I think what's so neat is it seems like these images helped bring that, like visually show people the nuance of not only the war, um, but also women's experiences, which was, it sounds like, Mm -hmm. sounds like Islamophobia fueled colonialism and allowed and justified these ideas to perpetrate. That's so fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, it could be even more powerful. Well, maybe it's just not, doesn't even make sense to hierarchize it, but if students don't have any religious background, it could surprise teachers. I mean, what their responses are in terms, maybe they'll understand it or, or see the injustices even quicker than we expect. And there can be disagreements too. I mean, the whole point of looking at these images is that the what I have learned from looking at the images is that I realize this is not a two-sided war. Of course, it's France versus Algeria, but women are forced to do things that they could have never imagined, could have yeah. never foreseen, including French women. I mean, a lot of French women would get involved in helping Algeria, even though they themselves maybe were colonizers, you know, officially speaking, right? If they live in Algeria, they're colonizing Algeria. But over time, they realize, well, actually, I want to help Algerians. It's interesting where the placement of of these women and their positions can take us historically so that we can see that. Because I, I remember learning about war and like high school and college and just thinking and just having so many more questions about what really happened. And the only way to really understand the Algerian war that I have been able to grasp is by looking at narratives about even diary entries, things that are more experience based and then pairing them with these photographs. It's like, that's where the history lessons really come in. Yeah. And like I said, these are, and Algerian women, certainly, and, and also French women and Italian women. I mean, during this time, it was people knew about the Algerian war. It's just that decades passing, we don't discuss it. And you can imagine why, because France doesn't want uh, us to know. Right. Why would you? Well, thank you for illuminating this for all of us, because I feel like we are all now better prepared to challenge. And it just seems like there's so many intersections in what you're talking about, like mm-hmm. gender, colonialism, is you know, talking about Islam. And I think maybe um, holding France to the same, you know, bar that we're holding Britain and and it's not that historians aren't doing this. I just don't think it's happening right. in, the, in the lower level classrooms um, that, you know, France and the Portuguese and the Spanish and their roles in, you know, genocide in the Americas right. and the slave trade and all that stuff. I think um, France also has, has a part to play. Um, we have a episode that we released uh, last year talking about French women, white women, in, co- in the colonizing efforts in the 19th century. So I think we feel like this is a great capstone mm. to, to that previous episode. I hope people go back and listen to that in season two. I can't thank you enough for sharing this history with us. I'm really grateful to you. <laughs> thank you so much. This was, I, it was such an honor to be able to speak with you and speak about a topic that I care so much about.
Oh, well, I can't wait for people to go check out these resources and hopefully we'll have a lesson for them soon. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to Remedial Her Story, the other 50%. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts to bring more voices to the conversation. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.